0: Welcome to another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yalbron, lead pastor of One Community Church located in El Dorado, Arkansas. For information about the ministry of Pastor Jason or One Community Church, please visit our website at occeldorado.com. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching One Community Church El Dorado. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of John. We're going to look at three places in the book of John today. So after we read the first one, don't close your Bible because we're going to turn to two other places in the book of John. We like the Bible at this church, don't we? We bring our Bibles, we bring our notebooks, iPads, whatever platform you use to take notes. If you are using iPads or iPhones or something to take notes and look at Scripture... I would ask that you not get on the Internet and look at social media or go to your search engine and look up stuff. Uh, I have been known to come and stand in front of people. So anyway, so just be aware of that, okay? Um, And by the way, another thing, don't play games in church. That's not what you come here for. We spend 13 hours a week on TikTok, and we can't sit in church for an hour and a half. Come on. We can do better than that. It's an hour and a half. Come on, guys. We can put the phone down that long. So let's do it. Kiddos, y'all listening to me up there? I hope so. Okay, John is where we're going to start reading the book of John, but we'll get there here in just a minute, so bear with me. We're in this series called The Big 12, talking about the 12 apostles of Jesus. If you're like me, you probably just put all of the disciples together in one lump sum, but haven't thought about what each one brings to the table and their different purposes and personalities. So as I've been preparing for weeks and months for this series, the one thing that has stood out the most to me, especially with with my wife and I doing a lot of counseling Uh, and really diving into the personalities, the thing that has stood out the most through my studying of the disciples is their different personalities. So we're talking about 12 men, but they had different personalities. There were some that were similar in personality, but they were different. Because how many of you know God makes us all different? Mostly when we talk about the disciples, we talk about Peter, James, and John. They were the prominent disciples, but there are others that can be a little more obscure Today we're going to talk about the apostle or the disciple, Philip. He came from the city of Bethsaida, the same hometown as Peter and Andrew. His name is Greek. Of course, y'all know I'm a horse guy, so I love this. But in Greek, his name means horse lover. Okay, watch this. This is why we call a young female horse a filly. It is the same root Word. His name is Greek and also he spoke Greek. Philip is often mentioned with Andrew or one of the other prominent disciples. He's rarely singled out, but there are a few places he is mentioned in having conversations with Jesus directly, and we will look at some of those passages today. What is important to learn about, or why is it important to learn about the disciples? Because we get to see Jesus through their eyes, these ordinary men who surrounded an extraordinary Savior. Amen? Amen. These men had both a natural and a supernatural connection or attachment to Jesus. They saw his habits. They saw his routines. They saw what he liked. They saw what he didn't like. They saw how he processed his decisions, who he talked with, who he didn't talk with. They got an inside view. So if we look inside their conversations, we get to see something to unpack about them and especially our Savior. So with the crowds and the friction of the unfamiliar, it wouldn't have taken long to discover who was best at different roles and each other's strengths and weaknesses in high pressure, unfamiliar situations. Some of them were quick to act and slower to think, but they were better in a crisis. I call them movers. Others were methodical and they were accurate, best suited for planning. Yet each of the 12 must have had their natural, listen to what I'm about to say, each one of them must have had their natural personalities challenged and stretched by the supernatural demands of being a disciple. Can anybody relate to that? How many of you know we're disciples? And if you're going to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus, if you're really being discipled, you're going to be stretched. And that's one of our goals here at One Community is to stretch you. We want you to get out of your comfort zone. Because until you're stretched, you're not growing. And if you're not being stretched and you're not being challenged... And, and we say this in church, if your toes are not being stepped on, you're probably not going to be growing. So what we want to do is get you out of your comfort zone. We want to stretch you a little bit because we believe that, that being a disciple is challenging and it, it stretches you because of the supernatural demands that are being placed on you that are not of this world, but of a different world. Amen, church. Sometimes these men, now listen to me, sometimes these men were followers, sometimes Jesus needed them to be leaders, and He needed them to know the difference in the two. And what I'm saying is very important. Jesus sometimes needed them to be followers, and sometimes Jesus needed them to be leaders. And He needed them to understand the difference between the two. And to know the difference between the two, it took practice and it took patience. How many of you know that 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 happens today in church? In fact, it happens in this church, not just this church, it happens in every church, but I can assure you it's happening in this church. This happens today. Some people want to lead and never follow. And others want to follow and never lead. This dynamic is one of my top five challenges in this church. This is top five, one of the biggest challenges I face as a pastor. Because I've got those that want to lead, but they won't follow. And I've got those that just want to follow and won't lead. It's getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. (laughs) Now watch what I'm saying. We, we, we are to be both follower and leader, but we have to know the difference between the two and when to lead and when to follow. Does that make sense to anybody? And so this crazy dynamic that we have is we have people that just want to lead and they don't want to be followers. In other words, they don't want to serve. I just want to lead something. Well, I want to lead it the way I want to lead it. And I want you to follow suit with what I want to do. I'm going to just let that soak in for just a minute. In other words, I have a vision. I have my gift, and I'm all worried about my gift and what I want to do with my gift. But what the problem with that is, you've come under a covering of a church that has a vision. Well, if we have a vision and you have a vision, then we have division. Hmm. Hmm. I think I'll preach back here. So we have those that just want to lead, but the problem is they want to lead how they want to lead. And then we've got those that just want to follow. We've got people in this church that are incredibly gifted. And they have the DNA, they have the heart, they have the vision of the house. That they ooze one community out of them. But you can't get them to lead anything. They are the perfect candidates for leadership, but they will not lead. And the reason they won't lead is because of confidence, shyness, timidness, whatever the case is, lack of confidence, or they're just too busy. And I don't want one more thing on my plate. I don't want to be, and here's a word, I don't want to be responsible Jesus needs us to be both leader and follower and to learn to distinguish between the two. When am I leading and when am I following? Amen. Is this a moment I'm supposed to sit in the seat as a student or is this a moment like Andrew I'm supposed to speak up? There is a walk of discipleship where we we must learn how the gifts and callings and anointings fit in the moment. I call it spiritual couth, spiritual etiquette. You would be surprised at how many believers, especially in spirit-filled circles, that have no spiritual cooth. I'm preaching good, boy. I know it's quiet as... I think I've, I walked into a religious church. It's so quiet in here. Woo! Wow, it's quiet in here. In spirit-filled circles, there are people that have no spiritual discernment whatsoever. They do not recognize the moment that they're in. And we have to learn to discern the moments. Now I'm going to uh, switch gears. When you mingle the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, most people will seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Same in Jesus' day. The reason Jesus had thousands of followers is because He was doing signs, wonders, and miracles. And it attracted people. We want to go see the show. We want to see the circus. We we want to go and see what's going on. But I believe for an inner circle disciple, we are to value what we're to value the most is not miracles, signs, and wonders. I believe what we're to value the most is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now I love signs, wonders, and miracles. I love the gifts of the Spirit, and I'm all for that. But our goal here at One Community is to build disciples. That is our mission, It's to build disciples. It's to build growing people, not a crowd, not numbers. Now, we've seen numbers, but I can tell you, and I love numbers. I'm not against the numbers, but I am more interested as a pastor to grow you up. I would rather have 10 or 12 or 50 or 100 people that are growing than 1,000 people who are not. I want to see you discipled. I want to see you grow. I I want to see you flourish as a disciple of Christ. Amen, church. That super spiritual stuff can wear off quickly. And it's where we get flaky Christians. And I want to tell you, that super spiritual stuff is not sustainable. We are human beings and we live in a human body. Okay, now I love the glory cloud and I love to seek God and I love those moments that knock me off my feet and I love all of that. I was raised that way, I still believe that way. But I am saying we don't live in the glory all the time. We have to go to work, we have to go to school, we have to live, amen. So I want to produce disciples, I want to produce people who are having some spiritual meat to them, some growth to them, Some people just want a show and a title. Hmm. I'm going to say that again. Some people just want a show and a title. They show up for the show. Entertain me. Keep me interested. Do something that amazes me. Breathe fire out of your mouth. Swing from the roof. For me as a pastor and a shepherd of this vision and this house, one, and I'm just, gonna, I'm just giving you inside information today, but one of the largest blinking signs for me when I, I watch people coming in and out of the doors of this church, one of the things, this is just one of many, two of many, I'm going to give you two, but this is one of many signs that I'm like, Whoa, stop sign, berp, nope, no, nah, I'm watching that person. But one of the signs, this is one, is when I see people who want titles or give themselves titles they have not earned or been given. Amen? That is a huge stop sign for me, and I'm going to run, forest run. Here's another one. People that come here with no covering, and they're not willing to submit to covering. Amen? Amen? They will not come up under the covering in the vision of this house. They have their own agendas. Amen. I can tell you I don't like this message. <laughs> and if you didn't like that part, you really won't like this part. Here's another blinking sign for me. And before I say this, this is not a male statement. This is a biblical statement. But ladies who have not fallen under the covering of their husband or won't let their husband lead without them being in control or manipulating the situation. Boy, I thought it was quite a minute ago. (laughs) That in the Bible is called a Jezebel spirit. And probably in the next few months, I will talk about all about Jezebel. Jezebel. Now, that can be both masculine and feminine. It doesn't have to be just feminine. But that is a spirit that I would say is in most of the American church today. It's a spirit of control and it's a spirit of manipulation. And it is happening. Now that does not mean, I do not mean that husbands lord over their wives or some kind of dictator, any of that. It's not that I don't think women should be in ministry and teaching and preaching and all that. I believe in that. I think some of the best content right now in America is coming from women preachers. I believe that. So that's not what this is about. But I am saying the Bible has order, and we serve a God of order. And God is a God. When the order's right, everything flourishes. When the order is wrong, it is out of order. Amen? And while I'm offending people, let me just keep on offending. Okay? If you're a man, you give her something to be submitted to. Okay? If you're, if you're some dope smoking, beer drinking, whatever, she shouldn't submit to you at all. I wouldn't either. I'm talking about men of God. And ladies, if you have a man that is submitted to God, he submits to God. You're submitted to God and him. I'm telling you, that works in any family dynamic, anywhere, anytime, any day. It works. But we have to be someone they can be submitted to. Amen. Amen. I believe wholeheartedly it is dangerous to go outside of the local church to minister if you're not submitted and serving a local congregation and covering. Amen. Amen. Remember two weeks ago we talked about spheres of influence. And it's authority that you have not been given. Amen. I'll give you an example. If the Lord told me to go to Dallas, Texas, I'm just picking Dallas. He could tell me to go to Hot Springs. I don't care. It doesn't matter the city. But if God tells me to go there and to uh, you know go to that city and minister to that city and, and their spirits in that city or whatever, I am not going to go under my own authority because I've never been given authority over there. Okay, now I realize we all have authority over principalities. And I get all that. But I'm saying spheres of influence. I'm not going to go over there and pick a fight with authority I haven't been given. What I would do, if God laid on my heart a city, I would go to that city and I would find a church where God is moving, where they have been given the platform of, of authority, and I would come up under that covering. Amen. So that's just a little food for thought. Back to the disciples. How many of you know when you, when you travel together and you camp out next to each other, every day and every night you get close and find out things about each other and you find out some things you didn't want to know about each other? Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you travel with people, you get to know them real quickly. So we see this wasn't just ministry, This was also a social experiment, and we are the beneficiaries of it. Amen? We're going to look at Philip, not to be confused with Philip the Evangelist in the New Testament. So we have Philip, one of the twelve that we're talking about in this series. And in the New Testament, we have another Philip who is Philip the Evangelist, who is one of the seven deacons of the early church. So don't get those two guys mixed up and think they're one and the same. Now neither Philip, one of the twelve, or Philip the Evangelist authored the book of Philippians. You'd be surprised at how many people don't know this. Philippians is named after the city of Philippi. Okay, so that not, has nothing to do with Philip, the, one of the twelve, or Philip the Evangelist. Neither, neither one of these Philips authored a book in the Bible. Philip, one of the big twelve, was not a fisherman. Most of the apostles and disciples had a fisherman backgrounds. He, he did not. He was more of an educated man. He had an education. He had more of an education than most Galileans. Uh, we're going to see that in Scripture. You can see that as you read about Philip. Uh, Philip could read and write, which was unusual for this day and time. So he was above, uh, you know, above the game in that, in that aspect. Um, he, He related to other students of the Torah. So he studied the Old Testament. So in John chapter 1 is where I want to take my text today. And this is the first mention of Philip. John chapter 1, starting in verse 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to them, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46, Nazareth. He said, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Y'all have heard that before. That was Nathanael that asked that question. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. But he said, "I, I say to you, you will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So this is the first mention of Philip in Scripture that we see. I want you to look at the order. Jesus finds Philip. Philip finds Nathanael and says, come and see. Follow me in Hebrew means this, walk after me. Walk after me. When a rabbi would say this, he was delineating you from the crowd. In other words, I see something in you. Only a chosen few would be chosen to go with the rabbi. The few that were ready and willing to give up their life for the cause of the gospel. And you'll know this Scripture. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. 14. Can we put it up there? For many are invited but few are chosen. In other words, I have a lot of followers, I have a lot of disciples, but not everyone is willing to leave it all to follow me to the next place. When a rabbi would say that to a student in Hebrew, that meant you got my attention, you're not just worthy, but you're willing to lay it all down for me. When Philip was asked to follow Jesus, his first reaction was like Andrew to find his friend Nathaniel. Philip was like, we found the one Moses wrote about. So you can see in that that he had studied the Torah. He had studied the Old Testament. These two, Nathanael and Philip, had studied together. Jesus finds Philip, come follow me. Philip tells Nathanael, come and see. Jesus adds Nathanael, which makes two more disciples. The next time we see Philip is in the same story as we read two weeks ago with the feeding of the 5,000. And I want you to turn there to John chapter 6. So we could turn over a few pages to John chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 5 through 7. I'm going to go ahead and read for time's sake. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said, Philip, there's Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. Everybody highlight test him. For he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread to feed all of these people. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. So two weeks ago, I had multiple people say, Pastor, how did you know it was Andrew who connected the miracle of the feeding 5,000? Right here in verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So this is geographically close to Philip's hometown. So this could be why Jesus chose to invite Philip into the conversation about feeding the 5,000. Jesus, the Bible says, already knew what he was going to do. The word test here in the Greek is to test objectively. You could say he was picking or poking at Philip. That's all he was doing because he already knew what he was going to do. He wanted to see what Philip would say because Philip um, was practical. And you'll learn this about Philip. He was very logical and he was very practical Jesus was joking. How many of you know Jesus was fun, he was relatable, and he was enjoyable? Thought I'd get another amen on that one. Now let me ask you, who are the best people to joke with? The people who take everything literal. So this is why I believe Jesus was picking at Philip. He wasn't asking to get information, really. He was just poking and and just having fun with Philip, but I believe there was more to that as well because I believe he was testing Philip to see what Philip would say. And people who are literal are some of the best people to joke with, and I love to do that with people who are literal. Jesus said, where can we buy bread? And practical Philip doesn't answer the question. He doesn't doesn't answer the question where. Where? He immediately says, we don't have enough money in the budget to do that. (laughs) Do y'all see that? Jesus, how many of you know, does that to us? He will say, where is your faith? How many times does the Holy Spirit prod us and say, where are you related or where are you at? And it's always related to where, where? Where are you at? Where is your heart? Where is your mind? Where is your thought life right now? So Jesus is constantly, even today through the Holy Spirit, he's asking us, "Where are you at?" Jesus, we don't have any money for your miracle. And Jesus was like, "That's not even what I ask you, Philip." Philip, your mind is on resource, which tells me you're focused on resource and not the source. And there is a difference. Everybody in this room, including the guy on the stage, is guilty of focusing on resource and not the source. So now we know Philip's nature is to see everything literal, which helps us in the last place we see Philip. So Jesus on this Passover was multiplying the fish and the loaves, and the next place we see Philip is the next Passover a year later. Where Jesus realizes, this is my moment, this is my hour, my hour is now here, I'm about to be crucified. So Jesus is preparing the disciples. Now this is a hard moment for me, and, and I'm going to get kind of somber here for a moment, and I want you to feel the weight of the rest of this message. Because if you read this text, it's very weighty in what we're going to read here in just a moment. This is a hard moment for me because these disciples followed him. They left everything in their lives behind. They had been with him three years and they know him very well. They believe they were on the winning team. Yet Jesus here in this moment at this last supper feels the burden to explain to these 12 men what would take place in the coming hours. He helped these 12 wrestle with their biggest disappointment. And I love this about Jesus. Watch this. I just wanted you to make this note. Jesus never used the word crucified. He used the word glorified. Remember, they didn't take Jesus' life. Always remember this. Always remember this, church. They did not take Jesus' life. He gave His life. Amen? Amen? He laid it down willingly. He is preparing the twelve. That's that, that this story will not end the way you're expecting it to. I want you to be prepared and not be taken off guard. This will happen quickly. This is our last meal in a setting like this. Jesus is explaining, he and the Father are one, and he's going to return to the Father, and he's going to prepare a place for them to be united again, and they would be together, but it would be on the other side of this suffering. So Thomas, remember Thomas at Easter? He's the one who inspired the series. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know how to get there? In other words, can you drop us a pen? How do, how, what, what, what's your address, Jesus, so we can put it in our GPS and find you? And I want to pick up the story, so turn over a few pages to John chapter 14. And this, is a bit, this will be where we close. John chapter 14. And I want us to read verses 6 through 14, so I don't know who's in the media booth. I can't see over that screen. But you're just going to have to stay with me, because I'm going to go verse by verse, and I don't know where we're going. So, hang on. <laughs> Jesus said here in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Come on, let's say that together. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, this is what Jesus was saying. I'm the Mount." I'm the guide, I'm the directions, and when you get there, I'll be the password. No one comes to the Father. Does that say no one? <laughs> no one comes to the Father except through me. Is that right? Y'all ever noticed, uh, I know this is my business and I'm a preacher and a pastor or whatever and I do a lot of funerals, but have y'all noticed that everybody that dies thinks they're going to heaven? Like, everybody now goes to heaven. Like, I don't, you don't ever hear any different. Like, everybody goes to heaven now. You know, they're, go fly around with your wings on a harp, you know, all this stuff. I'm going to tell you something Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other way to heaven but through Jesus. Buddha is not the way, Muhammad is not the way. Come on. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He said, I am the guide, I am the map, I am the directions, and when you get there, I'll be the password. If you know me, he said, you know the Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus was saying, because you have been with me and you know me, you will know the Father. In other words, you will recognize him. Don't even worry about that. You're going to know the Father because you know me. Philip said, now here's where I want to take my message. Take your highlighter out and highlight verse 8 because this is the message. Philip said, watch what he said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Underline the word enough. Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered and said this. Let's keep going, guys. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Don't you know that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father? How can you say? Listen to what Jesus is saying. Listen to the weight of his words. How can you say, show me the Father? Verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Now let's hold on for just a moment. Remember, they had just seen Lazarus being raised from the dead. How many of you have ever seen a man come out of the grave after being in there for several days? I don't know anybody that's seen that. These guys saw that. And here he is questioning Jesus. We want to see the Father. Verse 12. You will do even greater works than these. Let's skip to verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. And we'll close with verse 14. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. So Jesus is saying here, you've been looking to the Father as the source of power. So all Hebrews at this time, the Jewish people, they, they didn't call Him Father. Jesus introduced Him as Father. They knew Him as Yahweh, God. But they had been looking for him to all, for all the power and authority. But because I'm laying my life down, I then, Jesus is saying, become the key between the cosmos, the keys between heaven and earth. So when you know me, you have the password. Whatever you ask for in my name. This is why when we close a prayer, we say in Jesus' name. That's why we do this right here, this verse. Because of what Jesus said. He said, if you ask anything in my name, you will have it. You're looking for power, Philip, and you're looking at power. Jesus took the most profoundly disappointing conversation in the last moments of his physical life with his very closest friends, and he spun it around to a place of victory. I believe this was the beginning of the torturous process, the uh, supernatural process that was about to happen of Jesus being separated and the pulling away and the stripping away that Jesus would face on the cross. To be looked at in your eyes by the men closest to you. The men that you had devoted yourself to for three years. These guys were your band of brothers. And to be looked at in your eyes and be told, if you do this one more thing, it'll be enough. Just one more thing. How many times do we do that? Lord, if you'll just answer this one more prayer. If you'll just do this one thing, that will be enough. Jesus' response to Philip is, what do you think the last three years have been? Can you hear the disappointment in Jesus' voice when He says, how can you say, show me the Father when that's all I've been called to do? I think Jesus was saying, have I failed? What have I done for the last three years? I've showed you the Father for the last three years. Is that not enough? Even though this conversation is painful, I appreciate Philip's vulnerability and his request. And here's why. Because he speaks for me and he speaks for you. I know he speaks for me because I've prayed this prayer so many times. Lord, show me your glory. Show me your face. And the whole time thinking that that is the, the purest prayer I could pray, but the whole time I, I have seen up close the life's being changed, the body's healed, the marriage is restored, mind's being restored. I've seen God do miracles among people. When I pray, show me the glory, God. It, it, when I prayed that, that's not what I pictured. I pictured the glory of God as some ethereal shape, some blinding light, some resounding sound that would knock me off my feet. That's what I pictured when I saw or thought about the glory of God. But listen to John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who Himself is God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. I don't know about you, but do you feel the awe of this conversation Jesus is having with his disciples? I'm not mad at Philip. I'm thankful for the learning moment we have as a result of this question. Philip is having an intimate relationship with Jesus. A Savior that goes home with us who watches us while we sleep, who corrects us, who comforts us, and yet like Philip, sometimes we say, that's not enough for me. I'm captivated by someone who was so close to God's greatest gift and how he could miss it so far. Philip said, show us the Father and that'll be enough. The connotation is, Jesus, you're not enough. Jesus says, Philip, Philip, I hear what you're saying, but you're going to have to settle for me. Did you not see the Father providing for you every day that you've been with me? Did you not hear the Creator's affirmation when I spoke to you, when I embraced you? Did you not feel the love of heaven surround you when I joked with you? Were you not filled with joy beyond measure? Philip, when I prayed for you, was there not a profound peace that comforted you? When you asked to see the Father, Philip, what did you expect to see? And we, like Philip, may have a distorted view of God the Father. Maybe we focused on the unexplainable, but we've missed the daily provision. We look for revival. That maybe it will happen someday, some way, but we picture it in some futuristic type way. But yet we're experiencing lives being changed all around us right now. I hear this. I've heard it all my life. God, we need revival. God, we need revival. We're praying for revival. We're believing for a last day revival. I've said this for a long time and I'll keep saying it. Some people wouldn't know a move of God if it ran over them. And you know why that is? Because, listen, listen. have you ever heard somebody say we need revival? Every time somebody says we we need revival, it's always future tense. And I think sometimes Jesus gets a little PO'd with that. I think Jesus gets a little ticked off with that. Because here's why. Because we're asking for some ethereal thing out in the future. And yet God is moving all around us every day. I want to tell you, God is moving in this church. And there's been people leave this church because they're looking for it in another box. We want it like this. This, In other words, what they're saying, this is not enough for me. And yet we're seeing a move of God. And I want to tell you something. What we've seen over the last four years is Unbelievable. And let us not, and I'm telling you, God gave me a word yesterday. Last night I was up praying and and just seeking God last night for today. And I came down and my wife's like, what is wrong with you? I probably look pale because of what God said to me. And God said to me, and I'm going to just tell you what God said to me, and and it's correcting, and it's correcting me because it starts with me. But he said, I will not do anything else at One Community Church until my people become thankful for what they have. Come on. Bob, thank you for that. Come on. I think we need some more come ons in this church. God said, I'm not taking this church any further until what we have right now is enough. Because we always want more. I want more, 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 more. We need this. We need that. We need that. Do you know how many times I hear that in a day? And God is saying, until we are thankful for what we have right now. Jesus is like, isn't it enough? You're seeing lives change. You're seeing people heal. You're seeing marriages heal. You're seeing something that is unbelievable in El Dorado, Arkansas. It's never happened before. That you're seeing a genuine, sincere move of God that is not driven by man. And that's not enough for you. Look at what I've done. Guys, can we look around at what God has done? Can we look over there on that corner at what God has done? Can we look at Vacation Bible School and see 61 kids make decisions for Christ and go, what else are we going to do? I'm telling you guys, I'm tired. I'm worn out. And I'm tired that we are not recognizing what God has already done because it's not enough for us. And I believe God, he said it He said it last night, I will not do any more in that church until my people are thankful for what I've already done. Until we recognize and stand in awe and wonder of what God has done in this house. God has moved. And here's the problem. And I was raised spirit-filled, but I'm going to talk about my people. But my people frustrate me. They frustrate the you-know-what out of me. Because spirit-filled people are some of the most Oh, my gosh, negative, critic, critical people in the whole wide world. And I'm sitting there thinking, there, you know how I many people? We need a move of God in El Well, we're having one over here on the south side of town, but you can't get your mmm out of your mmm. <laughs> you all tell I'm frustrated? My people frustrate me. Oh, we we want to move. You know why they don't recognize us as a move of God? Because it doesn't look like they think it should look. Yeah. They have some idea in their head of what it's supposed to look like, and it's probably something they've experienced in their past. Well, you know, we used to do it like this, <laughs> and God is saying, "I'm moving right now. Are you recognizing what I'm doing?" Is it enough? Is what I'm doing now enough for you? Or do you got to have more? More, 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 more. God is saying until you are grateful for what you have. Amen, church. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit in here. Y'all going to have to give me a minute. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Hmm. Thank Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Pastor A and team, come up here. Come up here. I'm going to stop. Come up here. And when you guys come up here, don't put your earbuds in. Don't put your earbuds in yet. Because I want everybody in this church to hear me. Everybody to hear me. They're going to go back into this song, what he's done. And I know we don't have Daniel and y'all don't hear the... You don't hear the frilly keyboard playing in the background. But do we really have to have a keyboard playing to get excited about Jesus? Oh, no. We don't have to have all the strings and all that. Listen, if we can't worship Jesus now like this, if we, if we got to have music to worship God, something's wrong. I can worship God in that hot parking lot out there and never complain if I'm worshiping God. Amen? Come on, everybody stand to your feet. God is moving in this place. <clears throat> God is moving in this place. Hallelujah. 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 I believe this church is being called to the inner circle. I believe that. I believe we are being called to the inner circle. And God is saying, I need you to step up and acknowledge the things that I have done. That's what I wrote last night. I wrote these words last night. God said, I need you to step up and to acknowledge what I've been doing. How many of our prayers are like Philip's request? I need to see more to know that you're really for me. And God's like, what else do you need? I've given you everything you need. It's all around you. Oh, I need to see more. I need to see more. I wonder how many times God's kept us from an accident. I wonder how many times God provided for us. I wonder how many times God shut the mouth of our accusers. Hmm. Guys, if our focus is on what is next and I want more, then our focus is on the wrong, in the wrong place. And I want to say this and I'll close, but we fo- what we focus on, this is a good nugget. I know you put your notebook down, but remember this and write it down in a minute. What we focus on expands. It expands. What we focus on expands. And so if we're focused on the wrong thing, the wrong thing expands. If we're focused on what's missing and what's lacking in this church, that expands. But if we focus on what's right and what's good, that will expand. Amen? And listen to me. This is your homework. I don't care if it's just one If it's just one thing that you can be thankful for, focus on that one thing. Just one. It don't have to be ten. One thing. And you cannot tell me you don't have one thing to be thankful for in your life. And I want you all week to expand that. Not all that's wrong. Expand what is right. And the Bible says, think on these things. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is pure. Whatever is of a good report. The Bible says, think about that. Expand that. Amen. Father, we praise you. God, we praise you. Mm, mm-mm. I, I sit, I, I know I'm going long. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to close. But I want to say, I sit in meetings all weekend. Friday and Saturday, I was in Little Rock. And the topic was poverty in Arkansas. And I said something in that meeting. There was all kinds of people in that meeting. They weren't all Christians. And they probably looked at me goofy. They did look at me goofy. I don't think they did. I know they did. Some of them did. Some of them was agreeing. But I said, guys, we'll never fix a poverty in the state of Arkansas until we're first thankful. Because we've got an unthankful spirit in kids today. A generation that is not thankful and grateful. They always want more. Give me more. Give me more. I want more, 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 more. What that, that toy's not enough. I want more. And that breeds into adults because those same kids become adults. And now we're facing a generation that is ungrateful and unthankful. And it keeps us in a cycle of poverty. Guys, we've got to be thankful. Well, you know, my marriage is just not enough. It's just not enough for me. I don't feel what I used to. You know what I'm, really, what I'm really trying to do? Is I'm trying to take feel out of my vocabulary. Well, I just don't feel it anymore. We fell out of love. Well, if you fell out of love, you can fall back into love. Amen? My marriage is just not enough for me. My house is just not enough for me. I want something bigger. My car just doesn't cut it anymore. I need something better. It's just not enough. Everything is just not enough. And Jesus is saying, until I'm enough, I'm not giving you anything else. Until I'm enough, and you can be grateful for what you have, I'm not giving you anything else. Father, I thank you. I praise you. I glorify you. I exalt you. God, we're thankful for what you've done. God, we're gonna expand thanks in our life. We're gonna be people of thanks. People of gratefulness. God, one community is gonna be a grateful church. It's gonna ooze out of us, Lord. I declare that. I speak that forth in the name of Jesus. I declare it all over this house that God, we're gonna be a thankful church. We're not gonna be the church that complains about everything and what we don't have. We're gonna be thankful for what we have because we we've got a lot. And, Lord, we're thankful and we're great. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to join us next week for another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yalbro and One Community Church of El Dorado.